filibuster is supported through patreon by listeners like you check us out at patreon.com slash filibuster we also get support from the ehrlich law office discrimination wage and litigation solutions for the district of columbia and northern virginia they handle workplace discrimination, non-competition and non-solicitation litigation, civil rights, and a whole lot more. For a free consultation, go to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. I would like to be the first to congratulate Joseph Martinez on behalf of Zlatan Ibrahimovic for winning the MLS MVP award. It was a really nice gift that Zlatan gave him in this final week of, of MLS action. You know, it was another nice gift that uh, Zlatan gave the entire league, probably. What's that, Ben? The inevitable firing of Dom Kinnear for choking what should have been a slam dunk uh, playoff uh, confirmation. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, the the circumstances that the galaxy went out on are above and beyond spectacular. <laughs> really, really, just an art piece. I think is the best way to describe it. Yeah. Up two to nothing against a team that's been eliminated and has nothing to play for. And hasn't uh, had anything to play for in since the Open Cup final, so like yeah. a month. They won their trophy. They they they're good. Right. Um, but they knew not their season the wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and and to go from up to nothing in the second half to losing three to two, almost losing four to two, even. Um, <laughs> definitely as worthy of a slow clap. Yes. Just imagine me with that uh, Orson Welles gif. <laughs> they uh, the thing like I saw one note that they had given up only two goals in their last four games and then they gave up three in like 20 something minutes um to throw this away uh truly truly the hallmark of that organization in 2018 um shout out to Chris Klein yeah yeah Who's staying <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably for life. You'll just never be left left out of that organization. And uh, so at this point in, in MLS, who was the more baffling retention at the general manager position? Chris Klein in LA or Manny Lagos in Minnesota? Oh, it's. I think it's got to be Klein. Yeah, like neither of point, them makes an ounce of sense. But right, like the the starting point for Lagos was like, hey, you have a few weeks to put together an expansion team. Um, That's true. But the starting point for the for Klein and the Galaxy was like you have you're the wealthiest the team in the league. Uh, you play in a city that people want to come play in, regardless of um, what's going on with your team. Like pretty much, this is a slam dunk for you. Um, and you had to do a good job because you have a new team on the horizon that's in your town. So don't f it up this season of all seasons, right? Uh, and and you know don't choose 2017 as the year to. Um, Promote Kurt Onolfo and uh, bring it. Make your team like literally fifty percent a USL roster. Uh, as, that's as, not the year for that. As DC United fans know and said back in twenty seventeen, never promote Kurt Onolfo. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think um, the gal the Galaxy's fall from grace. Like, can you imagine if they hadn't managed to find and uh, like get Zlatan on board? Um, how much oh, worse that would have been? I mean, you mean um, better, right? Well, I mean, yeah, like b- better. I don't know. This is pretty good. Yeah, the fact I mean, that they yeah, got this, this close and then 
it fell apart is awesome, but also it would have been kind of awesome to see them just be genuinely bad all year long with no no possibility of saving themselves because they always had that possibility. Even even when Houston equalized and took the lead, there was that possibility of um, Zlatan having like 10 minutes of like, I'm going to score two goals. We're going, I'm dragging you, you people to the playoffs, whether you want to be there or not. Um, and it didn't happen. So I just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it reminds me of, there was that thing um, back in TFC's dark days where they just had to win one, the last day of the season and they lost five, nothing to the Red Bulls who were also terrible. Um, which was like a 90 minutes of sadness. This was more of a, like you're even closer to getting over the line. Like you've got the lead. You, you're they, over they the line. You have to go like, backwards to not make it at this yeah, point. Cause they, they scored in the first half and they scored two goals in three minutes. It's that kind of like two goal outburst that just kind of, when you're playing a team that thinks their season is over, you you probably broke their will at that point. They're like, all right, fine. It's game 34. We're, it doesn't matter. Um, we gave up two goals. This this thing is over. And then they sort of sleepwalk through the game. Uh, and the Galaxy let a team in that mental state still score three goals on them. It's like if you had uh, an open net and Joseph Nguyenia was about to send you to the playoffs, except, if, <laughs> if, 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 except for it not being Joseph Nguyenia and it being Zlatan Ibrahimovic. Zlatan did his best Nguyenia. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> I said it. Hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United, and Dunking on the Galaxy podcast. I'm Adam Taylor, joined by Jason Anderson and Ben Bromley. We're all from blackandredunited.com, where we cover DC United, who have a home playoff game. Yeah, they do. That came as a result of a scoreless draw in Chicago and some results elsewhere. We will talk about this game in Bridgeview, Illinois, on the outskirts of Chicago. I mean, maybe even the outskirts of the outskirts of Chicago, but close enough. Um, We'll talk about that and DC United's uh, upcoming game against the Columbus crew in the knockout stage. And that'll be at Audi Field on Thursday night. Not not Halloween. Yeah, thankfully not Halloween. So any parents with kids that were going to go trick or treating or who are going to go trick or treating like me, you get to go to this one. I get to go to this one. Uh, I was going to be kind of sad to watch this one at home if it had been on Wednesday, but it's on Thursday and that's good. We're going to talk about all those things, except the Halloween part. We're probably not going to talk about that anymore. Before we do talk about anything else, though, Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, it's, it's October. It's the right time for ESBs. So I went out and the only option at the liquor store I went to was Red Hook ESB, but that one's fine. I just wish there were more than one options. Uh, yeah, but I, not even I got Fuller's? Red Hook. What's that? Not even Fuller's. Uh, there's only one place around here that actually has Fuller's. I have to go <laughs> across Annapolis to go find it. It is Fuller's is awesome. Um, yeah. but, uh, Red Hook ESB is also good and it's usually pretty cheap. Um, and that's what I got. I just wish that they were like, it wasn't the one ESB out of the like 900 possible beers. Um, at this point, 790 IPAs. Yes. Well, you need, you need your 790 IPAs to choose from. Um, but, uh, no, I got Red Hook ESB and, uh, I'm, I'm pleased. Yeah. That I'm usually pleased with Red Hook, uh, ESB. It's, it's a good option. Uh, it's, 
gotten a little chillier and I had actual moments before the show to think about a drink. So I mixed myself a Manhattan with uh, almost all district made ingredients, which is pretty cool. I still don't have any DC made bitters. So I just use Angostura, um, but I used one, eight distillings district rye. I used uh Capitoline Rose vermouth and it's, it, it makes a tasty drink. Is your glassware made in the district? No, my glassware is very, I, I don't know if it's made in Kentucky, but it is, it was purchased by my father-in-law at the ah. Buffalo Trace Distillery in Frankfort, Kentucky, um, which is where my in-laws live. So, you does know, it at least have a nice it's local like, in its own way? Does it have a nice etched buffalo on it? It does. It's actually in relief. It, it's nice. it it sticks out, and then the Buffalo Trace uh, word mark is is just stenciled on. But it's a it's a nice nice glass and. My father-in-law gave us a bunch of them years ago, and they, they've they all held up. Nice little rocks glass. Ben, what are you drinking? I am drinking a, a something that is white Russian adjacent. I even hesitate to call it like a, a riff on a white Russian because it has none of the regular ingredients. <laughs> so it's like a white Russian, except different in every way. Right. Instead of uh, Kahlua and cream or milk... It's bourbon and vanilla almond milk, which is all we had. And then a dash of bitters just for good taste. And it's all right. So instead of vodka and Kahlua and milk, Mm -hmm. it's just bourbon and almond milk. Vanilla almond milk, but yes. Okay. It's all right. I mean, you make do with what you got. Sure. (laughs) It sounds a little bit like a college experiment. That's exactly what it sounds like. Ben, I mean, I'm glad one of us is still drinking like he's in college. One of us is not the way I would have expected. I just, I don't have time to go out to purchase fancy things anymore. Is all. Or not even fancy things, but things that go together. How many chickens did you smoke this weekend? Two, (laughs) and three uh, huge hunks of cheese. So maybe right. more a more accurate statement would be I spend my brief times that I can go uh, purchase things on smoking meats instead of right. You just made you just made different choices. Yeah, and I also I want some of your smoked cheese. It's pretty good. I would like some. Okay, I'm not joking. I'm kind of crying right now. I really want some. Move to Richmond. Yeah, you probably have to go to Ben to get this cheese. I would imagine. All right. See, this is an errand my wife might actually let me go on or force me to go on because girl likes her some cheese and <laughs> she is correct to do so. Uh, soccer? Yeah. All right. It was a bit lackluster on the day, but with other results around the league, it was just enough. Scoreless draw at the Chicago Fire with that DC United secures fourth place in MLS's Eastern Conference. The words are true. I double-checked them. Um, And with that comes a home game in the MLS Cup playoffs. Um, That'll be Thursday night against the Columbus crew, as we talked about. Um, Before we get into the Chicago game, though, what a ride this year has been. I I mean, last week I had a Facebook memory come up that was pictures I took at the 
farewell to RFK um, inside the stadium, outside the stadium with the tickets, with my, my wife and our kids outside the stadium. And like, just thinking about watching the, the legends game before that, that final match against the Red Bulls at RFK, that was way more than a year ago in my mm-hmm. mind. It was a million years ago. <laughs> and no, it was, it was only 365 days. And, yeah. and, and now we've gone through the road trip that would never end has in fact ended. And now DC United has one of the best home records in MLS, uh, has a permanent home that is built and exists. And we've all been to, and they are in not only in the playoffs, but hosting a game at buzzard point in the playoffs. I mean, they pushed everything to the limit and, I personally thought and may have said online, I thought they may have pushed it too far in the early season, letting uh, a number of games that were winnable or drawable uh, let points go away. But they got just enough points in the beginning of the season and then got a coup with Wayne Rooney and Wayne Rooney turned out to be uh, exactly what this team needed. And Russell Knauss came back exactly when this team needed him. And Lucho Acosta had been building throughout the season and burst out exactly when this team needed it. And they propelled them to the MLS cup playoffs and Bill Hamid came back. And even though we didn't think we need, some of us didn't think we needed a goalkeeper. He was exactly what the team needed. And there were any number of spots where this could have just gone horribly, horribly wrong throughout the entire season. Uh, another lost game or two, uh, a draw, a, a one more injury, and everything could have gone uh, completely south. But the right choices were made, and here we are in fourth place and have a home game, and that's that's just great. I mean, what's crazy, too, is they actually survived some injuries. Taylor Kemp hasn't oh, played yeah, a minute yeah, this yeah. year. Nick DeLeon missed more than half the year. Um, Chris Adui-Achum, whose depth, you know, is out battling cancer. Uh, O'Neal Fisher, who grew into the starting role in a way none of us saw coming, is out for the year. Luckily, Nick DeLeon came back just in time. And it turns out Paul Ariola can also play right back. Jose Segura missed a bunch of time. Uh, Russell Canals like, missed half the season. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. This is a, this was not an easy year by any means. Threaded um, the needle kind of the definition of. Yeah. And you know, the, the weird schedule made it seem longer and I still think ultimately worked to United's advantage in the for end. Sure. For sure. Um, just like it did for Toronto FC when they had a weird backloaded home schedule and just like it did for sporting Kansas city when they, they had it as well. All, anytime there's been a situation like this, the team has um, gone on what seemed like an improbable run, but may have been more probable than it seemed um, in DC United's case though. It did take, you know, some, some pretty big roster moves and, and tactical. Like the, just the buzzard beater without the buzzard beater. This is the, we're probably not in the playoffs. Cause that would have been just such an emotional crushing blow against yeah. a terrible Orlando city team. Yeah. Like historically bad, like worse by some metrics than 2013 DC United. Spoiler alert. We're probably going to bring up Orlando city and the ignominy of losing to them in the second segment. 
I mean, yes, also good because yeah, but yeah. <sighs> I just went through a thing there. You you did that all by yourself too. I like that. <laughs> so in this game against Chicago, there wasn't a lot of attacking from either time, either side, because this is the DC United podcast. We're going to focus on them. Um, not a lot of attack, not as much as you would have liked against Chicago, but Chicago, I think, is probably an underrated defensive team. Maybe, hopefully. Um, but DC United's defense has improved by leaps and bounds. And as as little offense as United generated, Chicago created even less. Um, I think they had about half of the expected goals of DC United. And DC United was just under one XG for the game. So that's how little Chicago created in this game. And just to use that as a lens to zoom out a little bit, if you look at the stats for DC United over the course of the year, before July 14th, they were scoring, I think, close to two goals a game. After July 14th, they're scoring close to two goals a game. The offensive production didn't change that much, just if you look at the the total goals scored per game. Where the team really, really improved a lot after July 14th was on the defensive side of the ball. The goals against just plummeted. And as Ben said, a lot of that had to do with Russell Knauss and Bill Hamid and and things coming together. But I I, I want to talk about it more because th- this team has gotten a lot better on defense. And we've seen that in the last few weeks, especially. I think they have, what, two goals allowed in their last six games or something? Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. That's a really good defensive record to be going into the playoffs on. Yeah, and you know, so, some of it comes from just playing so many home games. Teams come in, and this being MLS, the assumption is that you have to be defensive on the road. Um, and so teams come in planning to defend. They back off, and that makes it a little easier. Um, but, you, you know, there are still plenty of good counterattacking teams in MLS. Um, so there's still plenty of danger there. It's not like there's no chance that you're going to concede at home. Um, I think some of it is that United's attack worries teams enough that they back off a little more, um, that they don't take so many risks uh, that they would otherwise, that they that they would have earlier in this season. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a combination of factors. Um, certainly, uh, the defending itself has gotten better. Um, the partnership from Briant and Birnbaum is now, in the last few weeks, is better than it's been all season. Um, which has been really helpful. Um, those two have have uh, really started to figure some things out, and they they look like a better pair than they used to. Um, the fact that it's happened with this revolving door at right back all season um, just adds to um, you know the, the that should be the kind of thing that is a big question mark, and instead it's like you know what that's happened, and yet the defense is still doing what they're doing. Um, Joseph Mora uh, going from a guy who by midseason, I think we were pretty much across the board uh, as a fan base, like, all right, this guy probably has a place on the roster, but we got to do something about this position. Um, But in the back half of the season, he has become, if not, I mean, he's not spectacular by any means, but he's been pretty solid. Um, When he gets forward, he's been able to um, occasionally do something positive. It's not just get the ball and pass it off to somebody else. He's actually trying to um, add real width to width to the attack. Um, 
so yeah, I think um, those individual players playing better has helped a lot, but um, I think it does start with the midfield and, and the front line. I think um, something as small as having a player as smart as Rooney um, changes how United presses teams because it's just that, that little tiny bit, like we talked last week, that little bit uh, of thinking faster and recognizing, um, you know, the pressing triggers that United thrives on, um, recognizing those things before, uh, before they used to be recognized, just that little bit quicker. Um, that has certainly helped. Um, but it's, it's kind of an all across the board thing. You know, Junior Moreno is playing better now than he was at the start of the year. Um, Canals is Canals. Uh, he should be in the national team. Um, it's it's really it's it's kind of this harmonious uh, ecosystem that all kind of feeds into everything else um, that allows for this team to overcome having um, many different players play right back, and it allows for them to uh, overcome being you know the kind of team that takes some risks and and sends numbers forward and tries to outscore their opponents rather than just try to grind out one nothing. Um, yeah. I think one thing that Rooney also facilitated his acquisition also facilitated and obviously Russell Knauss, uh, Russell Knauss's return from injury helped in this regard too, was the tactical shift from the or formation shift from four, one, four, one to the four, two, three, one that we've seen much more the latter half of the season. United was throwing more numbers higher in the attack when it was Darren Maddox up top and Lucho and, and Ariola or Lucho and Segura or, or whatever two midfielders underneath him. Um, and, and with Rooney up there and able to combine with Lucho and his free role, you can have the two defensive midfielders back. You don't have to have as many people up trying to get into the box to combine, to create goals. So in, in a way, United did improve the attack enough that they could stop throwing as many numbers high and central so that they could have more structure through that defensive midfield and, and at the back, which allows the fullbacks then to get a little bit higher to help out in a different way. Um, so it, it's just interesting the different knock-on effects. And I think you have to credit Ben Olsen for for recognizing it and for playing with the tactics and and getting it right down the stretch. Yeah. You have to give Ben Olsen credit. He people around the league like to malign him some and some DC United fans like to malign him too, but especially this season and throughout the past couple of seasons, he's definitely showed an evolution. He's definitely showed like when he has the tools at hand, he can coach a really nice soccer system that, is attractive to play. And we saw it, especially with Rooney down the stretch that this was one of the most fun teams in the entire league to watch. And you, we haven't been able to say that about DC United in almost a decade, but now that the team has Audi field, now that the team has double new ownership, they've been able to put the investment in and this is a fun team to watch when this team is clicking all on all cylinders they have one of the most dynamic attacks in the league. And it's not just like, obviously everyone wishes they were Atlanta United with the star power that that team has, but this team is almost as exciting to watch as they are. And it's not just built on 
uh, eight figure players. I mean, yes, they spent some money, but it's, it's a holistic team that is having fun and doing well uh, top to bottom and not just relying on a couple of stars. So big game on Thursday. Big game Thursday. Go home. Big game Thursday. DC United has to win or their season is done. Uh, lots of guys just went 90 minutes uh, against the fire. Um, I think, Ben Olsen had two unused subs at the end of the game, which has been a theme. He's only been using one or two subs in a lot of these games. Um, usually, or, you and see, even when he uses, even when he uses a third, there's often that like very late sub, right? Um, yeah, the 89th you know, through 97. Yeah, you know, up. you go back to the last time they played Chicago. Durkin came on in the 90th minute. Um, you know the. What was it um, against uh, the Red Bulls? I want to say or no. Stieber was the last sub in that game, and that was the eighty-first. So maybe that's not unconventional, but yeah, it's been a few games in a row where it's uh, one sub, two subs, but not all three. Yeah, and a lot of times you'll see a manager keep that last sub in reserve until the eighty-sixth, eighty-ninth minute, just so if there's an injury, you're not just left shorthanded you can put another body on the field at least but ben olsen has been keeping it all the way until the end of the game and Mm -hmm. you know these subs don't roll over you don't get to keep using them uh in the next game and and down the line so in this one would it be crazy if ben olsen got to use 10 subs in the next game like the first playoff game i mean you wouldn't want to unless you of course not players back in like in college soccer yeah, just take Lucho out for like 10 minutes to give him a break. <laughs> then throw him back in there with some fresh legs. Right, yeah. Take him out from like ha- like take him out at halftime and then bring him back in the 55th. That would be fun. Like extended halftime? Yeah. <laughs> and so what what subs would you guys have liked to see against Chicago? Who would you like to have seen get some rest or or do you think Olsen made the choice he had to make given that, that the team had to at the very minimum, keep the draw and had Philadelphia done a little better, uh, gone for the win. Uh, I mean, for, for me personally, I think, um, maybe from the 70th minute onward, it seemed like given how the game was played in this, like the, the wind was blowing from, uh, the far side of the stadium towards the camera. It wasn't like blowing at one team's goal. It was just blowing directly across the field. And it was kind of destroying a lot of um, attempts to play constructive soccer. Um, And by bringing in Darren Maddox, I think United could have made it a lot easier on themselves by not having to be so intricate or have these um, cross field balls that open the field up for that, that sort of play. Um, you just play on the ground and let Maddox uh, get into a foot race with somebody, um, it, you know, in the final 20 minutes of this game. I, and, you know, whether it's for Lucho or for Rooney, one of those two, I mean, they've both played a ton of minutes. They've gotten kicked a bunch. Um, Chicago certainly was, was enthusiastic about the idea of kicking people. Um, if not, you know, being constructive, uh, they were certainly destructive. Um so yeah, you know, giving Maddox 20 minutes to just maybe chase in behind and see if um, on a team playing Schweinsteiger and Jonathan Campbell as their center backs, there's certainly a vulnerability there. Um, 
but uh for you know for whatever reason that you know i can see not wanting to you know give any reason to and you know um mess with the harmony of acosta and rooney right now especially acosta in the past he's been he gets frustrated if he gets subbed off um maybe it's a good idea to not mess with that but i also feel like he's in a healthy enough place right now where he would have understood um right and i i feel like my only criticism of olsen has just been like Maddox could run down some defenses like in those last 20 minutes. And I think not putting him somewhere on the field to run down people is a a little bit of a missed opportunity. I think he could just run a defense ragged, stretch him out. And then somebody could, uh, he could help exploit that. I mean, he, until recently he was the team's leading scorer and I think he could do some of that in 20 minutes. So I just think it's a, it's a little bit of a missed opportunity. It's a little bit of, not letting him stay in a rhythm to be a dangerous weapon off the bench. Yeah. That's the part where I would agree with you the most is getting him minutes to keep him sharp and keep him hungry and, and keep him potentially feeling confident. Um, Obviously we can't see everything that's happening in training. There could be something that that's keeping Maddox from seeing the field there. Obviously he was gone on uh, international duty and got sick. So um, for another week. So th- there've been games he's missed for circumstances outside of Ben Olsen's control. But in this game, I, I agree. He, we, we could have seen him. I wouldn't have minded uh, seeing, seeing him on for Rooney in particular, just because of the chance that this would be a very short rest uh, game. Had the game been scheduled for Wednesday, which, uh, which as far Thursday. as I know, which as far as I know, was not something that anyone knew about. Um, we reached out to the team after the game to ask if there was a time frame on when we would find out um, the the playoff game timing, and they were they were still waiting on that news from MLS. So, right, um, this was not something where the team knew and could plan around it. It was it was a variable, and thus it was possible they were going to end up with the Wednesday game that would have made this uh, probably a much more of an issue if if they were playing uh, with only the two days. That would be a bigger deal, but it's still curious. Uh, I, 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 Yamil Assad came in on this one for Segura, who, who didn't have his best game. Uh, I, for the same reason, I would have liked to see Stieber out there or have seen Maddox out there. I, I would have liked to see Zoltan Stieber out there as well. Get him engaged, get him more After- touches on the field. You know, two straight games where he hasn't played at all. Yeah, which is um, and surprising. His form is, well, his form, I mean, it, that one at least I understand because I think it's just a form thing. Um, Segura is outplaying him uh, the last times we've seen him. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder if giving him some, some serious minutes in this game might have been a good idea just to re-engage him a little bit. Um, yeah. There was, I can't remember which game it was in this run of having a billion games to cover. Um, but there was a game where they were going to bring him in as the third sub and then something right. happened and they switched up and I think they brought Durkin in instead out of necessity. But um, there was a um, Stieber wasn't he didn't look angry, but he definitely had a chat with Olsen about what was going on because he went from like not just being talked to, but like in uniform holding his sub card and then they pulled it back and changed it and all that. Um, and uh, yeah, y- you do you have to wonder a little bit when you see something like that, 
he seems like a good professional. Like he's always going to do his best to stay engaged, but there's always so much you can do when you feel disconnected a little bit. Um, and the only cure for that is actually being on the field. More cowboy. Um, or, or, you know, more cowbell, which, you know, there's only so much cowbell uh, in a, in a stadium at a given time, you know, the, the team maybe was maxed out and thus had no more cowbell to give. I don't know. I don't know I know, yeah, especially, especially now that, the, now that the caps are back in season, the, the stock of cowbell that's available. Well, sure. has, Demand has has gone up. Yeah. You know, it's definitely shifted more towards Chinatown. Well, and as, as, we have heard from previous DC United international signings. They don't want to be out near where, uh, the cows. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to be, you don't want to be stuck near a cow. That's true. And look, I don't know how Schieber feels about being stuck near a cow, but I, you know, I have my doubts that he's particularly into that. It doesn't seem like that's his lifestyle. He might be more a butter leather lifestyle. Yeah. yeah before yeah, we maybe, get, maybe a little more bodkin. Um, on the, the the scale of things, he's more Boscovich than Salihi, is what you're saying. Maybe a little yeah. bit. I mean, he'd that, rather that, wear the, the way, cow than. That's the way every team is. You're either a little bit of Boscovich or a little bit of Salihi. I, I'm not even sure what that continuum covers, so I'm Me just going to move on. Deep cuts. Uh, deep cuts. So who starts Thursday? Um, Nick DeLeon had a great game at right back on on this one. Um, Not a flawless game, but, but team of the week game though. Yeah. Yeah. He made, he made MLS soccer.com's team of the week. I do have to say that was a mild surprise to me because I don't think anyone in this game actually played well enough to get that consideration. Um, I thought he did a good job, uh, but it did not cross my mind that anyone in this game was going to be, thought of for even a second as a team of the week candidate because ultimately with all the other stuff going on and all those other games with many favorites stumbling at the last second not just the galaxy um and meanwhile the dc chicago game was just the ball you know i think the game was summed up by um patrick mcclain trying to he's trying to do one of those like side foot punts where you're trying to break out in transition and get the ball to not go up too high and a wind gust caught that ball and it just sort of went up and then down. And it, it was like a punt that went 25 yards from a goalkeeper who could probably punt the ball 80. Um, it just kind of summed up the, the, the play on the field. And I was like, Oh, there's someone paid attention to this to put someone in the team of the week. Why, why would you do that? <laughs> <laughs> what poor soul had to do that. Right. So Nick DeLeon, good performance. Uh, on, on both sides of the ball, not perfect defensively, like I said, um, but with the ball at his feet, pretty impeccable. Not, I, I think, 90, 95% passing from him um, and a lot of touches, some some good interventions on the defensive side. I want to, I don't want to indicate that he was poor there yeah, or yeah, anything. Yeah. yeah, but I think he might have been the best United player in the game. It's just that the game itself was right. Not- going too high on the uh, not really there. worth watching right uh and then the conditions had a lot to do with that but so nicky had a good game he's it's the second time he's gone 90 since he's come back from injury can he play in four games in in four days or are we going to have to see either jalen robinson or, or paul Ariola or or who knows who else at uh at right back 
I mean, I think it's crunch time. I think we're going to see the lineup that, uh, barring injuries, the lineup that Ben Olsen wants. So I think it's going to be the AAA midfield of Asada, Costa, and Ariola. I think it's going to be De Leon at right back. And the rest of the lineup speaks for itself, basically. I mean, I think Moreno has a small but undeniable edge over Chris Durkin uh, when both are healthy and available this year. Uh, Durkin has closed it, but I think Moreno is still ahead of him, and everything else kind of just falls into place from there. Yeah, I think you know the the question is really about DeLeon's recovery time. If if he recovers in time for this game, then yeah, he starts. Um, I, I don't think you know as as much as we've had that revolving door right back. I think he is the best man for the job. It um, has been all season. He's just been injured for a lot of it. Right. And, you know, the last time he played 90 minutes, the the follow-up game was he was rested. Uh, he played seven minutes in the next game because, um, you know, after the game, Olsen was uh, – he was joking about it. But he was like, yeah, we, we don't know how we – you know, he came through this game really well. That was the TFC game. He said, you know, he came through it really well. We don't know how he's going to feel tomorrow uh, when he comes in uh, for training because that's going to be the hard part. And it was just, you know, when you've been out that long, that bounce back time is longer. Um, and I think the if I'm not mistaken against NYCFC, the initial lineup that went out didn't even list him in the 18, which might have just been a mistake rather than – um, them changing it at the last minute because there are um, complicated and possibly nonsensical procedural issues once you submit your 18 players to the referees. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, if he can, if he's fit enough to play 90 in a windy physical game in Chicago and then play um, on a Thursday, uh, then yeah, he's definitely going to start. Um, outside of that, I guess we have to wonder if Assad is, you know, they, they withheld him for precautionary measures. You know, what actually is going on there? They they don't want to say um, for, you know, pretty understandable reasons, given that uh, this is MLS. Teams like to um, find your injured player and kick them, especially when it's the playoffs. Um, so, yeah, I, those are the only two question marks, though. Um, and one of them is, you know, or both of them really kind of come down to the same answer. It's, you know, if, if Assad and De Leon are fit to play, then they're going to play. I think that's it for, for this segment. We will talk about the Columbus crew in the next segment. Stick around. It's filibuster. Hey Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh- me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is are goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. 
It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I apologize in advance, but I'm about to do a terrible Nick Bakai impression. The 2018 MLS Cup playoffs are at hand. That was a really bad impression. Again, I apologize. The Columbus crew are going to visit Buzzard Point for the first time this Thursday night, 8 o'clock. Watch it on FS1 if you're not able to get down there to Southwest DC. Uh, they, they played DC United earlier in the year, but that was in Annapolis. Um, because Audi Field hadn't opened yet. In this one, the winner moves on. The loser gets to think about 2019. Patrick Goldan uh, does great work over at Massive Reporter Sister Site on SB Nation. He's here to help us get a read on his cruisers. Patrick, welcome back to Filibuster. Well, thanks for having me tonight. What are you drinking tonight? I am having an Italian sparkling mineral water from Costco's Signature's Finest. Ooh. Ooh, classic artisanal brand there. It is from the springs of some artisanal Kirkland Signature Italian Spring. Oh, from the Italian Springs of Washington State, no doubt. It is, yes. <laughs> Renowned for their Italianness. We, you put an Italian flag near there; it, it almost counts. Yes. <laughs> when I think of Italy, I do think of Washington State. You know, it's it's really better than the real thing. You know who invented? <laughs> Seattle invented Italy. Little known fact. That's why they have the best Italian sparkling water. <laughs> Mystery solved. So we'll get to the actual soccer game that's going to happen Thursday in, in relatively short order. But the biggest news out of central Ohio is hashtag saved the crew. Um, the the year-long ordeal that you guys have, have been through appears to be coming to a positive resolution. What's the vibe like there in Columbus, and, and what's the latest on on this? Well, I think uh, you hit it on the head when you, you talked about uh, the the stakes of Thursday's game, is that the, the winner moves on and the loser gets to think about 2019. Uh, you know, this is a, this is a team. This is a city that now gets to think about 2019 for sure. It's it's locked in stone. Well, they're they're sizing up the stone. They they've 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 taken they've their the uh, tr- they've they've taken out the stone. They're they're starting to engrave it. it it's a case where they're they're uh, they've already put it in clay. They've already <laughs> sketched it out on paper, um, and and the engraver just got here. So. Uh, it's it's looking like 2019 is a is a lock for Columbus Crew soccer, and that's the big thing. Uh, this past weekend, you know, it was a, it was a little bit of magic, frankly. So I, I happened to go to several events this week this past weekend, and uh, one of the uh, 
the radio personalities on uh, one of the, uh, the the sports radio station in town hosted a big party. Uh, he's, he's a big soccer fan. He actually uh, was part of the Master Report podcast before he moved into professional sports radio. And so he had uh, a bunch of the Save the Crew folks down there and a, a special guest in uh, Dr. Pete Edwards, the current team physician and soon to be member of the ownership group of, of the team. And, and just the, the mood was, was jubilant. It's, it's just a, a sea change from where we were a year ago. Uh, it's, it's just a, a feel good uh, time. And then the next day, uh, Kyle Martino, Dante Washington, uh, some other people saved the crew, uh, the Columbus sports commission got together and, and brought in a lot of uh, original crew players some of the legends from the team all the way from uh brian mcbride to uh some, some of the more recent uh, vintage players like chris Weir, who uh had had suited up and they played like a little short-sighted game and uh, i don't know it's it's you know not to get maudlin but uh or, or, or a little bit uh, sepia toned. It was kind of like a uh, field of dreams. You know, they, they built this uh, little tiny soccer uh, field in the middle of this uh, kind of uh, sunken area in the, um, <laughs> the, the stadium happens to be right next to the historical society. And it's <laughs> in this little model 1890s town. So they have this, this little, uh, uh, impromptu soccer game going on in this in this really neat setting with uh, Mafre Stadium over your shoulder and I mean, I'd watch that time travel movie it uh, well I it, living it I, I talked to two people who said it was the best soccer game they'd ever seen uh, <laughs> just just from the 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 nature of the event it was just uh, something magical to see some people you know coming together to what was what was going to be a a defiant last stand uh, came into being really a joyous celebration it was just fantastic to see the tailgates beforehand everybody just in a fantastic mood and uh, you know the rainstorm kind of pushed things back so you know the team already knew that they were in the playoffs uh, by the time the game wore down and you know. The the win was was the icing on what was a fantastic weekend. So up until this weekend, um, and obviously the recent kind of lifting of the burden of potentially leaving Ohio uh, for for Texas. Uh, besides that, there's been another distraction, potential distraction with with Greg Berhalter's rumored move to the U.S. Men's National Team has. Have these outside stories been affecting the crew's performance, which has been a little bit um, not so great down the stretch? If you if you talk to the team, they'll say no. If you, you talk, if you ask Greg Burhalter that question, he'll he'll uh, it's it's one game at a time. We're focused on the things that we can focus on and the things that we can control. But I, I really think that. Um, having the, the the pressure of these distractions over the team for most of the year, and then having the distraction of having your coach be uh, possibly the leading candidate for the national team job, and you know you're you're kind of winding up, you know, moving to Austin. It's the same team, you, you know, on the field. It's just in a different city, and as crass as that sounds, it might be a little bit easier to take than you all of a sudden as a player have to figure out how to play for a new coach. So I think that some of those distractions, you know, granted this is also uh, 
an imperfect team. You know, you, you got some players who aren't living up to what they, the, the potential or what we uh, really expected them to, you know, uh, Pedro Santos who's come in at uh, right wing and, um, it hasn't really he, he's now a season and a half in and he didn't start the game against minnesota uh in a in a, a must win coming into the game a must win result you know they went with nico hansen uh instead of uh, pedro santos and then you have uh, uh someone like justin miram who who's in a prolonged slump even coming back and you're relying on uh, uh now 34 year old uh, federico iguin and um admittedly a very hot goal scorer in Justice Sardes to really kind of carry the offense. And it really hasn't worked all that well throughout the year. Uh, speaking of Justice Sardes, he had a wonderful season, but he only he's Nico Hansen is the leading goal scorer away from Mafra stadium for the crew. Uh, are you worried about his performance on the road and, and what has been the difference for him uh, between dominating at home and not doing so great on the road? I, I don't think it's necessarily Jossie uh, to, to be, to be honest, he's going to get in, in, into position. He's going to, to work tirelessly, no matter if he's playing at Mafre or Aldi or uh, anywhere else throughout the league. I think really what comes down to it is that the supporting cast just hasn't, executed especially away from home um you know zardis is just one one player uh Iguin is just an, one one guy and the 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 lift that uh playing at home the comfort at playing at home you see that uh, the team really never gets the ball forward never really uh gets into positions where they're really testing an opposing defense as much when they're away from mafra stadium as when they're uh backed by that home crowd uh, I think the one thing that you can kind of rely on as a constant with this team, surprisingly enough, is the defense. I think the defense, for the most part, is, is good to very good. Uh, I think earlier in the season, they might have been even uh, pretty darn great, uh, but they kind of regressed. And, you know, that's the turnaround of Jonathan Mensa, uh, who came in last year and really didn't have a great season, but he has settled into being a very steady and dependable uh, player in the back, you know, he's, he's maybe a little bit one track mind when he's attacking the ball. Uh, but compared to his partners in the back there, you know, Lalas Abubakar, Josh Williams, Gaston Saro, um, for, for varying reasons, depending on they, they're, they're good for one error or one struggle, a game that, that is, could be catastrophic. And, uh, you know, either through, um, energetic youthfulness in the case of, uh, a boo car and uh, you know, Josh Williams starting to get to an age where maybe physically he's not quite as at peak as he was. And then Gaston Saros, uh, you know, recovering from major knee injuries and he was never the fastest. And, you know, he's, you know, he's a little bit slower now um, that, that defense is going to have to be what carries the crew through uh, Thursday night. If they want to get a, a positive result. And then my other question is about another play, uh, attacking player we've mentioned. Uh, Justin Miram had a great 2016 and an even better 2017. But what was it? What has happened this season that's thrown him off? Was it the move between the two teams, between Orlando and Columbus? Is it all mental? What, what's what's going on with him this season? I, I think it's a case where it's it's a couple different things. Um, 
and if if it could be solved, I think Greg would be uh, would be trying to trying those those things right now. Um, Justin plays well with a chip on his shoulder, and um, if he if he has a chip on his shoulder and is in form, uh, he is a lethal attacker, uh, someone who can play one on one. Uh, versus uh, versus a back line and, and try something that you might not get from anybody else on this team because Iguain, he, he lets the ball do the work. He'll make the passes. Zardis makes the runs and, and finishes. He's, he's a, a one-touch killer there. Uh, Santos, I mean, you might get a little bit of that, but uh, he's not as sharp as Justin. And um, I, I don't know if he's necessarily playing with that confidence, with that edge that um, that that really drove him and uh his orlando his time in orlando um i i it, it's it's exceptionally tough to settle when he uh kind of moves away from his uh wants to spread his wings he wants to kind of grow as a player uh the 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 move hanging over the team certainly didn't help his his mindset and orlando's this chance for a fresh start and uh it it just doesn't work and it goes from from bad to worse to to e- even below that and uh he he really has to get out of that situation i think he realized that um you know greg burhalter put him in a position to succeed and it's rare to get into that position as a player or or as anyone to to really get in a position where you can do your best i don't think he's recaptured whatever that essence was that really kind of drove him in um being being a pretty darn good player in 2015 and 2016 and really picking it up in 2017 uh, that he's, you know, been uh, close to one of the best left wingers in the league those two years. And uh, at at 29, um, maybe there's a little bit of physical sharpness that comes with it. But um, I I also expect that he's prone to, to kind of breaking out these big games. If he feels like he, he has a chip on his shoulder and people are starting to, to doubt him. Uh. Patrick, you actually mentioned uh, someone I wanted to talk about, um, Gaston Sauro. Uh, after playing really well when he first came to Columbus, uh, went through a series of procedures with his knee. It, it was one of those things where they weren't even, it sounded like they weren't even entirely sure he was going to carry on playing professional soccer at one point. Um, but very recently, he started to be able to play. I think he played 90 back in June, and then there were a few games off, and then um, a few more starts and he's, he's started the last two matches. Um, do you think he's, he's going to be able to be a factor in this game? And if so, what does that change for Columbus? I, I think, um, the extent of, I think it's good to get into the extent of Sarah's injury. So he picked up, um, a knee injury, uh, in the 2016 season and, uh, it, it was, not mis- misdiagnosed uh the the treatment path that they chose didn't work and it actually caused some more problems with his knees so he had an initial surgery and then he had a second surgery and there was a very long recovery period from that where they did uh grafting for some some uh tissue repair in his uh in his knee he was actually um a a spokesman for the the tissue donor lifeline of ohio commercials that they would have on during the crew games he would, he would be the the person talking 
uh, about tissue donation. And, and that's the extent of how damaging this was to his knee and uh, how much his career was in doubt. They were, they were 50, 50 that he'd play again. And there were a lot of, a lot of people that thought he wouldn't be able to come back. And it, it is, you know, coming back from that severe of an injury, it has impacted his game. Um, I, I think he's a, a fierce defender. He's he can be. Um, he's kind of in the in the Jonathan Mensa mold, and he, he's a little bit of a hunter. Um, but without um, that edge and speed and being able to to kind of recover, he gets he he can get caught into some some rough positions. Um, I, I think that he's um, kind of rotating into the lineup. You know. Jonathan Mensa will be back. Um, I, I tend to think that they'll go with Josh Williams over Gaston. Um, I, I think it's just maybe a little bit of lack of confidence in Lalas Abubakar, who was in the rotation uh, that, that Gaston's gotten some appearances. But, you know, Greg's Greg holds his cards close to the vest uh, as evidenced by the fact that Justin Miram didn't play in Orlando because of a, of a double secret uh, gentleman's agreement with the uh, the uh, Orlando City team and uh, uh, didn't mention it to reporters. Talked up the, the the return of Miram, and then all of a sudden it's a surprise. So he may have some tricks uh, even beyond who he pairs at center back on Thursday night. Well, that that kind of leads perfectly into my next question. Um, over the years since Berhalter's been in Columbus, everyone always talks about the crew as a team that plays a very defined system with a very certain formation. Everyone's the assumption always is always that the crew will play four, two, three, one, and they'll always try and do the exact same things. Um, but every once in a while, especially um, I, I remember there was an, especially open against DC. Yeah. You know, they came to RFK and played three, four, three once there was an open cup game a few years ago where they played uh, if I'm not mistaken, some kind of three, five, two, um, every once in a while, Burhalter throws that out there. Um, with the the fortunes of the crew right now, you know, away from home, it's been it's been a little rough um, all season. Um, do you think there's any possibility of him throwing a curveball, or is it going to be this is who we are? We're going to play crew soccer and and go out on that. If that's how we go out, so be it. I, I think that you'll see, and, and it's even beyond formation, so a little bit about uh, Greg's tactical tweaks. Uh, I think it's important to look back to how the crew played against Atlanta last year in the playoffs. Uh, they played a very measured and defined game plan, even though I believe that was in the, the, the normal four two three one that they roll out. It was uh, each player had some slightly different instructions about how to play that. They were they were defensive. They looked to catch on the breaks. There, um, the the um, there there was a compactness. There was a a mid press that they would roll out at times. And and especially as you look through the second half of this season, they you know they rolled out um, a four four two. Um, against New York Red Bull in uh, July and, and blitzed them to the tune of three goals and then held on for a 3-2 win. Um, but even beyond that, when they played uh, FC Dallas uh, in a very busy stretch where they had uh, Dal- at Dallas, at Portland, and then back home against Colorado, uh, they they came in with a ferocious high press for that first 15 minutes to really throw... FC Dallas off their game. Uh, it was it was a tactical tweak. They saw what they could do against that Dallas team, and and almost scored a goal 
uh, a couple different times and almost stole a result. It turned out to be a tie. Did the same thing in Portland uh, where they found the weakness of that Portland team and they uh, deservedly led after 20 minutes before kind of falling, uh, falling apart and then uh, pulling a late goal back. Uh, so I, I think even beyond uh, something happening with a with a, a, a crazy uh, formation change, which the system is always the same, uh, even if you see them roll out with three backs, um, it, it'll be to to just try to get a little bit of different spacing. Um, they're they're going to play the wing backs. They're going to to move up the the wings. You're going to look at Harrison Awful kind of finding space anywhere on that right side. Sometimes coming in, uh, you're going to see Jasis Ardes kind of. Uh, finding those pockets of space and, and Iguina underneath. But uh, yeah, it's a, the, the, he has the, the team built for, for flexibility, no matter how they line up, because I think everybody understands their role. And he um, time and time again, talking to the players, uh, they talk about how the team and how the coaching staff prepares for the next, uh, the next uh, opponent, and so I'm sure that they've done some some deep analysis of the impact of Wayne Rooney and what uh, how DC is is drastically different from when they played in Annapolis, and and we'll have some ideas about how to play against that, whether or not that you know the, they'll be able to match the intensity of DC. That remains to be seen. Um, just looking over the squad for the crew right now, um, if you had to pick a player that's sort of the wild card. Uh, in the deck that might um, might be able to change this game in some way that that maybe we don't think of or, or we don't expect. Who do you think that would be? I, I think. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add one more, but I'm gonna start off with uh, someone I mentioned. I think Justin Miram is is someone that you may be overlooking at this point, where he has had a 2018 to forget, but he is capable of dominating games one on one. Or uh, really, kind of linking up with uh, with the rest of the offense, because he and Iguain can be on the same page. Uh, you know, he knows how the Burhalter system operates. So I, I think that that's one player that you can kind of look at um, offensively that that might make the might make the game. The other is Harrison Awful. Uh, they might overlook, but uh, Awful had the third most shots on the team this year. Uh, he he is primed to shoot. Uh, and that's the case where he's really kind of pushing forward. He's given free license to find space um, in the offense. And, uh, you know, I mentioned the four four two game against New York. He oftentimes tucked in as a, as a kind of like an extra central midfielder at times. Uh, he'll push up wide right. He'll he'll kind of overlap or underlap with Pedro Santos on the on the right side. So I think if you're looking for somebody that might be out there, he might be not be turning it into to these uh, thunderbolts from distance. Um, but he'll tur- he'll end up in odd places, and uh, he he has the ability to create some trouble. On the other side, he is also not the the uh, fiercest defender. He will, he tries hard. He's tireless, but uh, technically, uh, he can also get beat. So you've been watching Greg Berhalter for the last, I guess, five years now in Columbus. Um, I mentioned the rumors that he could be going to the U.S. national team earlier. As someone who's watched him closely and who's team's fortunes have have risen and fallen with his uh what what do you think of these rumors what do you think of that potential hire i i'm really 
I'm really of two minds on Greg Berhalter. Uh, I think that he's an excellent coach. Uh, in all my conversations with him, his ability to explain the game, his ability to explain what they're trying to do um, is I have not had a chance to talk to a coach that has that level of uh, ability to get his point across. Um, you know, I've interviewed Ziggy, uh, Robert Verzia, Brian Bliss as crew coaches, and then some of the other people that have come through town, you know, don't get a chance to, to get as in-depth, but Greg is on a next level about his knowledge of the game, his ability to impart uh, uh, information and, and kind of um, break down a game where you, you kind of understand uh, some of the ideas of what they're trying to do. That said, my concern is, is that uh, as a national team coach, you're given uh, international dates to really kind of form a team. And if you have a defined style of how you want to play, and you know, I would say anybody watching the crew uh, over these last uh, five years has a good idea of how Greg Berhalter likes to play, that will be hard to adapt to an international team that you have to get up to speed very quickly. That said, uh, I feel uh, Greg's a lot more flexible than he might be given credit for. And I don't know really how he would approach uh, formulating a national team uh style given with what he's uh has to work with he, he really kind of has to just uh put it together and um with the pieces on hand he can't bring in uh you know a, a winger from scandinavia like he has in the past he has to make do with uh you know a defense that uh, a lot of a lot of parts that you're trying to find what's going to work so I, I think if he if he remains flexible and not necessarily married to a certain system and tries to impart the highlights of it, I think he could turn out to be a very good uh, pick for a U.S. national team coach. On the, the crew side, uh, the timing, I think, is kind of interesting, given that the LA Galaxy and Atlanta United are both rumored in, uh, in as going for Guillermo Bellos, or Barros Galoto, uh, former crew legend. Um, <laughs> For their coaching ranks, I'm, I'm curious whether you've been following his coaching exploits down in Argentina um, at, at Boca Juniors. I, I, I followed a little bit. I haven't uh, I haven't gotten a chance to see how he he takes on a game. I've only seen a few uh, comments on that, some of which gives me a little bit of pause uh, that he might not necessarily uh, be um, as tactically. Uh, focused and and maybe more reliant on his um, talent, which you know that that might not necessarily get it done in MLS. You know, if he goes to Atlanta, he'll have the talent. Um, but you can't argue with the results. Uh, you know, two um, two league titles, um, some some success in um, continental champion uh, the continental competitions. Uh, he, he has really kind of uh, restored some sanity to a Boca team that uh, had been spinning by the time he came there. Uh, and so he, he kind of set them on a path where there's a little bit of stability to this team now. Uh, you know, th- th- that'll be the interesting thing, you know, with, with Greg. And I think that if he's not the U.S. national team coach, I think that uh, there's a significant chance that L.A. is going to really try to, to to pick him off. And they were close in 2016, as I understand it. They really, he interviewed for the job. They they really liked him. I think that they are now in a position to to uh, 
Except all of his demands. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second. They interviewed Greg Berhalter and said, no, we're going to go with Kurt Anolfo. No, I think it was Greg Berhalter had certain conditions and uh-huh. they said, no, we're going to go with Kurt Anolfo. So no, we're, we're not going to accept Greg Berhalter's conditions. We're going to go with twice failed MLS coach Kurt Anolfo. It was, he wanted too much control and Kurt Anolfo was all right. Just being the coach. Yeah. yeah I we're, understand we're, it. We're, we're, we're just dunking on LA galaxy. Yeah, I mean, well, when you when you when Chris Klein wants the opportunity to direct your team's every operation, who are you to say no? I also think that now they realize their mistake. They <laughs> still have I'm not Chris sure Klein. they do. I don't think they're going to hire Kurt and Alfo again for any role. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, you know when when they're when they're looking at that, I, th- I think either way, Columbus is going to be in the market for a new coach. Um, I will say that um, you know the the new ownership group has you know the Haslam's are are, are learning MLS, uh, but the other side of it, the Edwards group um, has has deep ties to this community, and of course, uh, Pete Edwards has been the team doctor um, since the team's beginning, and so for twenty two plus years now, he has been the the team doctor. This this will actually be his last year. He announced. Uh, I guess there's a conflict of interest being the owner, and then also the <laughs> team doctor. Uh, so so he understands what Scaletto means to this community. So I don't know if there's necessarily a look to that, but you know this is also a case where there's a, there's a deal's not done. So if Greg leaves, um, you know Ernie Stewart says that they want to to hire someone in November. Um, if Greg leaves is announced next month that, that he'll be taking over the national team, um, you know, who hires the, the coach the, you know, this is a question that I, I've seen a couple different times and, you know, I, it's not a, it's not a hire that I would let pre-court sports ventures who, uh, it still has ESV do it at this. Point. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not something that's going to happen. But you also don't have it. It's not owned by by the Edwards and the Haslam's yet. So, you know, is this a case where you kind of overlook that and you say we have a deal in principle? You guys figure it out. Uh, you guys start making your your hires. Um, Hugh you know, Jackson as interim head coach. I know. Patrick, I think this is a point where you have to view this as an opportunity. You go to Anthony Precourt and you say, I have no coaching experience. Yeah. You should hire me. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't think he's taking my calls anymore. Uh, (laughs) We we have been, we have been trying to interview him um, for, for, for two years. We kind of gave up, but um, at the beginning of 2017 season, you know, the beginning of the season, always trying to, to, you know, the owner had been gracious uh, uh, before about uh, being interviewed, coming on our podcast, stuff like that. Uh, 2017 was no dice. 2018, obviously, some things came up and apparently he wasn't interested anymore. Um, so I, I don't think he's going to be naming me head coach of Columbus Caressi with the shortest tenure possible. I was like, <laughs> oh, what's your buyout clause? It's, oh, it's, it's a, it's a bag cents. of balls, not even new ones. Sure, here oh. you go. These that, are for training last year. That, that that brings up a question in my head. Once the Haslam's and Edwards buy the team, do you think they're going to get rid of Columbus Crew SC and go back to Columbus Crew, or do you think Columbus Crew SC is now fait accompli? 
Ah, uh, you know, I, I think everything's off on the table except for, you know, the color scheme. I, I think that, you know, maybe they'll reconsider the badge, though I'd like the new badge over the old badge. Um, I, I would be happy if it was Columbus Crew again. You know, the Columbus Crew. Um, keep the SC on the badge. Don't say it. You know, don't push it so hard. Don't make it the thing. And, right. um, you know, keep it like that, you know. Um, lighting, the, the, lighting some incense for that right now. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> or just for that purpose you know i I, i've seen some people that want the hard hats back um i i I personally would pass because um i i don't want some sort of adidas design thing from the 90s coming back and you know (laughs) even even though psv was was pushing the rebrand when he uh bought the team in 2014 it was designed in-house by people from columbus and i think that that's valuable so um I, i i think that this is really um unlike any other time in Columbus crew history, because this is a case where, um, you know, the, the last uh, committed owner was in the beginning of MLS when, you know, he owned multiple teams. So how committed could he be to Columbus uh, as far as day-to-day focus? And, and, you know, early MLS was not about splashing out a bunch of money. Um, you know, in the in the DP days, it was finding value on the transfer market. Scalotto turned out to be great. Igwein turned out to be great. Um, but you know, the, the, these aren't major major splashes like you would see with uh, even some other mid markets like Kansas City's doing, or, or Salt Lake is doing, or Portland's doing. Um, and and I think that that's a case where you're going to see maybe a shift on the field that. Um, making those smart buys, even if they cost a little bit more. Um, a new stadium's in, in the future. Um, that's one of the things where they're trying to figure out where that stadium's going to go. Uh, they're going to, um, talking to somebody over the weekend, and they really think that uh, the new ownership group is going to spend uh, quite a bit of money to make that stadium happen uh, and to do it right. And it's going to be downtown or near downtown, from what I understand. Uh, one of two places they're, they're trying to figure out the land. Nice. And it's you know going to be one of the best stadium locations, and if they they execute it right, one of the best stadiums in the league. Um, and then you know you're positioned with possibly some some talent on this roster um, in a in a brand new stadium here in, a, in about you know three to five years, and all of a sudden this this is this is a team that might be firing in all cylinders and. You know, they had 17,000 people celebrating, you know, the saving the crew yesterday. Um, Those won't be rare occasions, you know, um, undercounting and and not pushing the team in the in the uh, the business community and and, uh, amongst the people here and and the advertisements. You know, you'll see the crew around town um, because they're, they're going to really push that you know the the team is here to stay and you should be a part of this really cool fun thing yeah and as somebody who grew up in cincinnati i'm glad that there's going to be a nice cincinnati columbus rivalry that actually exists instead of a terrible ripped heart uh status quo yeah and 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 that's the biggest change between now and the beginning of the month for me. And so, you know, I've talked to a couple different people about this and um what it really came down to is um you know, with with the threat of relocation hanging over the season. I I didn't want to 
uh, I missed the first Hell is Real Derby, the Open Cup game. And there, you know, there was nothing this year, and and so the the threat of never getting to see that, uh, the threat of away trips, the threat of uh, you know uh, taking my kids to more games, uh, I, I really didn't you know didn't want to invest getting my kids to be crew fans. Like, oh yeah, you know, you're eight and five, and by the way, there's no team next year. Or, uh, you know, uh, being able to, you know, my, my wife said, oh, you know, that's right. You know, Cincinnati's coming into the league. You know, we'll, we'll probably have to get tickets to that. And, uh, you know, we know some people down in Cincinnati. You know, maybe we'll turn this into a big event. And so this is a case where, if the, the, you know, the Save the Crew people and talking to them, uh, true believers, they they had to be. Um, but, but as someone who kind of had to balance a lot of different priorities. You know, it was hard to think about tw- about next year when this year could, could have been the end and yeah. getting to think about the future is, is a wonderful thing. It really is. Um, and focusing on the immediate future again, let's say you were hired uh, to, to coach an MLS team and you were facing Greg Burhalter's crew let's say hypothetically Thursday night in, in a must win playoff game, what would you be focusing on? How would you game plan against the crew? Um, you know, you, you look for the weaknesses on this team, which, you know, like I said, that, uh, this is a team that, um, they, they don't have a lot of offensive punch right now. And so, um, they also play a, a somewhat high risk style at times. So I think that you look to, uh, to press as quickly as possible, uh, as, as much as you can in, in the times that you can. So, you know, if you're, if you're a pressing team, then yeah, press by all means, but if you're not still pick your times, um, you know, you put, uh, pressure at the back where, um, you know, Stefan is, is very good with the ball at his feet, but he's still prone to make a rush decision here and there. Or you have center backs that are prone to make a, making a bad decision. If you have that initial press or that midfield press, um, Philadelphia really kind of um, stymied the game. Uh, they, they really didn't create much, but they, they stymied the game with a midfield press. But, you know, if you do a high press or a mid press, uh, that causes Columbus some trouble. Uh, I think you look to uh, move the ball quickly in transition. Um, like when the ball's lost, uh, Columbus, like all teams, is weak in transition. And uh, especially with their spacing on uh, really focused on offense, you can find seams really quickly if you play quick. And, uh, you know, with uh, Acosta and, and Rooney, I think you have the, the tools to kind of uh, make something happen on the break if, that's, if you get those chances. Well, I know for three of us on, on this recording right now we hope that is exactly what's going to happen patrick uh as the odd man out thank you for for coming on and uh and talking with us tonight oh i i appreciated it uh you know love talking that the about the 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 next time uh you know planning for 2019 win or lose there's going to be a 2019 season of columbus crew soccer and that's that's the big win there you go. Uh, why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you on the internet? Um, I'm uh, the managing editor of MassiveReport.com. Um, that's at MassiveReport on Twitter. I'm uh, at Golden, G-U-L-D-A-N-M-R on Twitter. And uh, you know, I don't do the Facebook thing, but we're on there too. All right. Find us at BlackAndRedUnited.com. We're on Twitter at FilibusterDCU. 
for the podcast at Black and Red U for the website. If you feel like supporting us financially, we greatly appreciate it. And you can do that at patreon.com slash filibuster. We're on Stitcher, SoundCloud, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. You can download, subscribe, rate, and review. I'm told those are all good things to do. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Mostly, though, please tell a friend about the show. So Thursday night before you uh, head into Audi Field, mention the podcast to a show and talk about the great preview you heard from a Columbus crew writer and how much you know about the team coming in. That's it for us this week. We will talk to you again real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. This podcast is over. My monster from his slab began to rise. And suddenly, to my surprise, he did the match. He did the monster match. The monster match. It was a graveyard smash. He did the match. It got on in a flash. He did the match. He did the monster match. From my love.